Austin, do you remember how long it took me to find a podcast platform for us? Forever. I ended up finding one called Anchor, and I initially chose it just because it was free. But it also has a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. They also distributed for us, so that's why we ended up on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all of our other places. And you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Everything you need to make a podcast in just one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hi, everybody. This is Maddie. This is Austin. And we are Will This Be On The Test? We are very appreciative of you putting up with us last week when we had to put out that largely unedited episode because we both got sick. It was awful. You you did not want to hear us. No, not at all. But the week got a lot better after that. Monday was Austin's birthday. He's old now. What? The first thing I said to him when he woke up was, you're a third of the way till 100. Happy birthday. Yeah, I didn't feel at all old at all at that moment. And then he tried to argue that he was that way last year, which didn't help the situation. Yeah, it's like, I'm, please, I'm far more than a third of the way to 100 now. You are half, you were six months beyond the technical halfway point or something like that. I'm not really sure how math works. I'm not either. But for a brief time, I get to be younger than him. Yeah, enjoy it before you hit my hideous old age. And we keep finding out more and more people who have accomplished more than us by this age. Was it, is she the prime minister of Finland? Prime minister of, I'm going to say Finland. Yeah, who's 34. It's been a crazy couple of weeks. This impeachment stuff is going bananas. Yeah, and again, we it's still very possible that that just could be trial by combat once it gets to the Senate. I kind of hope so, because the way it's looking now... So you remember on that episode, I said that there really are no rules. The Senate can flat out refuse to hear it. They can start it, but immediately declare a verdict. They don't have to talk to anybody. Well, we've got these politicians who have actually said, we're in deep conversation about this with the White House. And these are the ones who make the decision. They're actually saying, we will do whatever the White House says, which goes in direct opposition to what the Founding Fathers intended with the impeachment process. And I'd be saying that no matter what party this person was in, this is not how you're supposed to behave. Yeah. But it's technically not against the rules. It's just against the rules of human decency and goes in the face of the spirit of the Constitution. This is basically your little brother sitting in the back of the car, waving his hands in front of your face going, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. It is technically the truth, but it's annoying and dickish. Mm Mm-hmm. Or when they start, like, messing with something in the back seat. Like, remember back in the day when they had the child, the locks that weren't childproof, so you could pull them up and pull, push them down, pull them up and push them down? Yep. Uh, and then you heard about them going after Greta Thunberg for what she said, right? Oh, of course. The up against the wall thing? Oh. Did you hear God. about this? I did not hear about this. So Greta Thunberg was saying we need to put our politicians against the wall which people largely interpreted as we need to execute them because executions have traditionally been against a wall. And the language that she is translating from, remind me what country she's from. Sweden. Sweden. Thank you. I wanted to say Sweden, but I don't want to get it wrong. The language that she's translating from, the literal translation of what she's saying is against a wall. But what it actually means is we need to put them in a place where they have to make a decision now, kind of our rock and hard place. Mm -hmm. So... She then had to make an apology statement saying this is what happens when English isn't your first language. You're trying to get things across. I feel like anybody with half a brain would know what she was trying to say, though. Yeah, well. Context clues. Context clues. 
Well, it's been one heck of a couple of weeks here, but we're back to normal. Uh, no, as normal as we get. So we're going by the rules of the episode before we got six. So I went first with Timothy Dexter that time. That means Austin gets to go first this time. Yay! And I've got a awful, horrifying one for you. Are you ready for this? Excellent. So, remember when we learned about the space race? No. Cool. Well, basically, the space race started when those those Russians managed to launch Sputnik into space. And you know, America was nowhere near having these type of rockets. But then, you know what? We buckled down and used our American know-how to land Neil Armstrong on the moon before those damn commies could. I always liked the word Sputnik. Sputnik. It's a fun word. And, of course, like we learned about Sputnik, which was in uh, 1957. It was the first man-made satellite. It was launched by the Russians. And then they had another big first, which is the only other thing I learned about them in school, which was Yuri Gagarin. In 1961, he was the first man in space. So then America starts really getting in the space race then, and we just start learning about American stuff because we're in America. And we don't learn any more about the Soviet space program, which was more advanced than ours when it all started, but we caught up. And I want to talk about the Soviet space program. I'm kind of curious to know, like, we caught up, but how many, like, safety corners did we cut to do it? Like, were oh. we just really lucky? Oh, no. We cut so many fewer corners than the Soviets did. Really? And I'm going to talk about that. Okay. First, I'm going to talk about another big first they had. And this guy is a absolute badass. It's Alexei Leonov. He was the first spacewalk. So he was the first man to leave a space capsule and do the spacewalk thing. I do know this one, yes. He was outside the spacecraft for 12 minutes and 9 seconds, and he was connected to it by a 16-foot tether. So he was just kind of floating in space, like proving that you could survive in space in these spacesuits. Can you imagine how terrified he must have secretly been the whole time? He was even more terrified than we thought, because it didn't go so very well. His spacesuit inflated in the vacuum. Oh, no. Yeah. And as a result, he couldn't bend his arms well enough to take photos of the ship while he was on the spacewalk. Uh Uh-huh. And he also could not fit back in the hatch. Oh, no. So he actually had to drain air off of his spacesuit to be able to fit in the hatch and get into the spacecraft after he'd been on the spacewalk because his spacesuit inflated like a giant bubble. So after this, best day ever or worst day ever? It's kind of both. Um, he also almost died of heat stroke. While he was out there or when yeah. he came back? While he was out there because, you know, um, you talk about, you know, space being super cold. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're in the sun, space is also dangerously hot. So Space is Arizona. Yeah. Space is either so cold it will kill you or so hot it will kill you. There is no in between. Oh, wait. So space is Kansas. Yeah. So really, they should have been sending Kansas instead of Soviets. Also, and this is an important note, we didn't learn a lot of this stuff in school. Because it was still classified largely while our teachers were in school and some of the time while we were in school. Neat. Again, they didn't want us to know about their successes, really. They didn't know what they were doing. They wanted to use things for propaganda. So look at these amazing advances we're making and embellish them a bit. And they also wanted to cover up any failures and Mm -hmm. anything that went wrong. So we just didn't know about a lot of this stuff and the truth about most of the space program until the 90s. So we're going to talk about another big first, and it was the uh, Soyuz 1. Soyuz? Soyuz 1. It was a basically landing pods. It's The Soyuz pods are what we use currently in the space program to, to go to and return from the International Space Station. But they've advanced them quite a bit. So this was a big disaster from the start. It was uh, piloted by Colonel Vladimir Komarov. The solar panels, when they launched, did not deploy properly. So the spacecraft was losing power rapidly and it couldn't operate a lot of its, like, you know, 
guidance things or its stabilization system. So he was basically just freely tumbling in space instead of like kind of like not tumbling in space. And the manual system they had in place as a backup did not work particularly well. So he was basically just out of control in space. There was a second launch that was going to come up like shortly after that to rendezvous with them. But it, the launch also didn't go well because uh, right before they did the launch, there was a big thunderstorm that affected the electrical system in the other pod that was going to come up and meet him and hopefully repair him. So they scrapped that mission. So he was going to try and land this thing in a not ideal conditions. And in the descent, the pod got tangled in its parachute and it impacted at 140 kilometers an hour into the Earth. 89 miles an hour. Thank you. Americans. <laughs> this was a notable first because it was the first death in flight in a space program. So that was the Alexei guy? That was uh, Vladimir Komarov. Okay. Alexei didn't die until like this year. I think it was in October 2019. Oh, wow. Yeah. He was pretty much a badass. Like, did he tell everybody about the aliens he saw? No, but he did write some books with American astronauts to talk about space and really worked with us with people to talk about the Soviet space program. And like, he wrote a book that's pretty neat. I want to read it. And aliens. Yes, there were aliens. Fine. <laughs> so that was Soyuz 1. Let's talk about Soyuz 11. Okay. This was another gigantic disaster. It depressurized in descent and the crew asphyxiated. Yeah, that's what would happen. Yes. Um, the crew, uh, Gregory Dobrovlovsky, Vladislav Volkov, and Viktor Patsayev, the crew of it, all died in space. They were the first deaths to actually occur in space. Alexei Leonov, the uh, first spacewalk guy we were just talking about, he was going to be the, originally was the commander of this mission. But they pulled him off because they wanted him to focus on the Soviet moon mission because it involved a spacewalk and he was currently the ex the world's expert on spacewalks. So they wanted him involved with that. He uh, was had some concerns about these, these pods and his big problem was that they didn't trust a lot of these automatic systems and was insisting on like manual checks of these various valves and things that they were using. Um, his advice was ignored and they, th they think that's what led to the, the pod depressurizing was they didn't do a final check and some things just left, were left open and all of the air went out of the pod. It's amazing how often that happens, that there's an expert saying, guys, this is going to kill somebody, or guys, this system is broken, we need to fix it. And they're like, eh, we know better than you, expert on this situation. But again, they're not sure if they did or not, because they all died and there weren't really great records. Side note, we do know that they died in descent, but because the Soviets were so like secretive about everything, we didn't know their exact cause of death for years, and it freaked out American space programs because we didn't know how they died. And there were lots of scientists at the time claiming that they died due to prolonged exposure to weightlessness. Huh. Yes, not true. And so that was the early ex explanation. So it freaked out a lot of people working on Skylab, the American space station, at the time. So it was, it was you know, a little terrifying, again, because they didn't tell us, and we were basically left guessing. We didn't know what was going on. Oh. Also, on Soyuz 1, there is an urban legend that the NSA in a listening station at somewhere, like wherever, I think it was in Kyrgyzstan or one of the stands, heard his radio communications as in his descent, and that he was basically cursing at the flight engineers and people running this program, and like basically promising to come back and haunt them. I hope he is! That was, pro that was proven to be not true. I still hope he is! But it was one of those... Good old-fashioned Cold War American know-how. Look at those commies. Propaganda at the time. 
My printer just went off. I don't know why. I probably said some magic printer words. You said NSA. They're printing off things. Oh, no, they are printing us. Oh, we're getting our script from the NSA. I wasn't supposed to talk about them because, you know, they listen to our podcast. They listen to everything. They do. I really feel so sorry for the NSA guy who is tasked with listening to our podcast. I was thinking the other day, you know, the NSA... They're trying to look out for these red flags in your searches or whatever. With the true crime phenomenon that's happening, they have to, like, parse out murderer or wannabe detective. Or just curious, bored person at work. Not that I've ever done that. You're never bored at work. Never bored at work. Actually, I'm very, really bored at work because of my job. I do, too. So now we're going to get out of the big tragedies and start talking about the Soviet, like, lunar program. Okay. Which was the Zond and the N1 slash L3, which again were classified until 1990, and we didn't know anything about them. We knew that they existed, but we didn't know any of the specifics. So basically, the uh, the Zond program was from 1967 to 1970. Uh, it was basically a smaller rocket that couldn't launch. It was small enough it could launch you to kind of like go around the moon and slingshot back, but it wasn't strong enough to launch you into an orbit of the moon. Mm-hmm. I'm doing hand gestures that are very helpful for everybody, but I think it's working for you. I think I could have understand understood slingshot versus orbit without the hand gestures. Well, fine. I'm going to stop making hand... Oh, hi, Draco! He needed the hand gestures. He's a good boy. So, again, it was a, still a gigantic rocket, and it was a very stripped-down mission, and only the 7th and 8th Zond launches were actually manned. Oh, and uh, Zond 7, the first manned Russian mission that actually went around the moon circled the moon just a month after Apollo 11 had landed. So they were really just right behind us this entire space race. We did not have the giant pull-away victory we thought we would. And so the Zond program was canceled in 1970. And then we're going to get to their big rocket. This was the N1-L3 program. This was the real-deal moon mission, the gigantic rocket. It was still smaller than the Saturn V rocket, which is what we used for the Apollo program to get to the moon, which is still the largest rocket ever created. And did you know... That we have lost the plans to the Apollo rock to the uh, Saturn V rocket. Wait, so they're called both? Okay, Saturn is the name of the rocket, Apollo is the name of the mission? Yeah, okay. so basically the Saturn V rocket is like the big rocket part. I'm making very obscene gestures doing this. <laughs> and the Apollo part was like the manned little crew pod up at the top. Draco! Draco wants to be in the podcast. He's putting his face directly in front of the microphone. Draco. Okay. So, the, uh, yeah, the Saturn V was the big rocket part that did all the launching. And the Apollo part was the tip. The tip was, that was the important part was the tip up at the top. <laughs> yeah, I win. <sighs> when it had all the crew and stuff, it was the, the payload. So this big rocket would thrust up there and deliver this payload all over the face of the moon. And <laughs> Draco! Okay, buddy, you're going down. You know that thrust is my least favorite word? Like... <laughs> It's, is thrust your moist? Yeah, that, <laughs> it is. It is. There's just something about the way it sounds. I just don't like it. Well, we're going to be talking a lot about thrust in a scientific, as a scientific term because Ugh. we're talking rockets. Rockets are gross. So basically all rockets are giant penis, penis metaphors. Yes. This one more so than most because it really did look like a giant tapered penis. Oh, and also the payload was smaller. So it would have been about the third of the mass of the Apollo missions. And they had to make a lot of cutbacks and basically throw all safety concerns out the window if this was even going to work. So the planned crew would only be two people. One would stay up in the, 
the uh, module and one would land on the moon. Uh, there was no docking tunnel between the two parts of it. So to get to the lander part, you'd have to do a spacewalk, which is why which is why they brought Alexi on board. Oh, sorry, I had a burp. And again, super dangerous. There was no backups, very few redundant systems, but it still had the potential to work, kind of. It was also about as likely to kill everyone involved, which, again, the Apollo program's not exactly safe, but so much safer than this because they were underfunded, they were rushed, uh, lots of people involved with it died, and it was just a big deal. They had lots of political pressure that was just not being, you know, again, it's like, well, you need to finish this now, but they couldn't, and it was a, it was a rushed job on cheap. And, of course, the inland rocket, which was supposed to deliver this payload, exploded. Uh, was there, were there people on it, or no, was it unmanned? Fortunately, they were unmanned. Okay. These are early tests. Actually, the second launch attempt crashed on the launch pad and caused one of the largest non-nuclear explosions in history. Wow. We didn't learn about this until the 90s. This was very, like, kept secret. The actual largest non-nuclear explosion was when Tyra Banks got really mad at one of the models in America's Next Top Model. I saw that, and even then it looked rehearsed and fake. I was rooting for you! I was rooting for you! We're better actors than Tyra Banks. <laughs> and yeah, that didn't seem that didn't seem fake at all. No. Uh, also, we are both life-sized. <laughs> that's the only Tyra Banks movie I can think of. I think that is the only Tyra Banks movie. You can correct us if we're wrong, but we're a history podcast, so I we think we know everything. We can't be wrong. We've never been wrong and will never be wrong. All of our research takes months. We write dissertations every time. Yep. I didn't do this a couple of weeks ago and just revisited it like right before recording. That yeah, he wasn't crazy. sitting here practicing names. Yes, and I still probably mispronounced them because I'm a bad person. It's okay. I've got stuff in French on mine. So. Oh, sacre bleu. So this mission, largely a failure. It was stopped in 1974 unofficially and then completely scrapped in 1976 after you know the big space race moon stuff had already happened and they lost, so they really lost interest. However, we still depend on the Soviet space program and their designs for all American manned space flight and basically everything involving the International Space Station. Ever, in fact, ever since the space shuttle was retired in 2011, the Soyuz vehicle, which was the one that kept exploding earlier, it's been improved, don't worry, it's as safe as you can get with space travel. Um, has been the only way we can get to and return from the International Space Station. Yeah, I read a thing recently that it's been, I think, over 20 years since every living person has been on Earth at the same time. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting after all of these fighting aspects of it that we now, I think, always have Americans and Russians up there at the same time doing the work together. Yeah, it's really impressive. And the uh, NASA, like... NASA's amazing, and our civilian space program is just awesome. But what about Space Force? Our civilian space program <laughs> has been, I think, one of the crowning achievements of humanity. And Space Force, I feel like there's going to be some really, really fucking excited teenage boys about Space Force. Did I tell you that I've been to that uh, Air and Space Annex in D.C.? Ooh! So there's the Air and Space Museum, which is amazing. If you get a chance to go, go. But then there's the annex, which has like the whole space shuttle in it. You can go in there, be in the room, walk all the way around it, see it that way. It's so cool. Oh, I want to check that out. Next time we're in DC, we should hit that up. We need to travel. We haven't been on a trip in a long time. We have not. So speaking of trips, are you ready for some questions? Yes. All right. Let me. Got teacher face going. Teacher face going. 
I just can't do teacher voice. I can't harness the rage. I can't do teacher voice intentionally. It has to come out naturally. And then I get really upset afterwards. Like, I've actually just gone into my room and cried because I don't like it. Oh, no. It's like you're, like, possessed by some ancient teaching avatar. Exactly. Because I was always the teacher who was like, let's talk this out. Let's figure out what's going on. I didn't lose my temper or my patience very easily. But when it happened, Austin was there once. I'm still afraid. Mm-hmm. It's like I went home and started cleaning. Actually, I think that's true. <laughs> it's powerful force. Don't abuse teacher voice. So, questions. All right. So, will Alexei Leonov be on the test? Yes. Yeah. All right. Will the fact that because of budget cuts, uh, we are now dependent on Russia for manned spaceflight be on the test? No, we can't admit that we are ever having any financial problem. Well, the fact that even though America won the space race, it was actually fairly close to be on the test. I think it would now. Yeah, because again... Like, when we were learning this stuff, it was fairly recent news, and it probably wouldn't have been made its way to teachers other than, like, ones in very specialized fields about all of this stuff. Yeah, 1990, we would have been four and five. Yeah. I kind of remember when I first learned about any space stuff. I don't think it was ever a focus in any of my classes. I'm sure it came up in elementary school a couple of times, but it was never, I don't think it was ever a whole unit. I know we talked about, you know, the solar system back when Pluto got the credit it is in des- it deserves. Pluto you know is a planet. I'm gonna I'm gonna say something controversial. I think they made the right call with Pluto. With Pluto, it's not really a planet. It's got an eccentric orbit, and it does not behave like other planets. I think it's just a captured like planetoid. Are you saying kids who are eccentric and don't behave like others deserve to get bullied? I'm saying. That Pluto is not a planet based on the definition of planet as discussed by scientists whose job it is to do these things. Austin has declared that he believes the odd kids deserve to get bullied. Actually, I have declared that very recently, actually. But one very specific odd kid, a friend, odd adult, one of our friends knows. Ow, stop hitting me. Austin's a giant bully. I am. I want to steal like his lunch money. All right. So that is Russian space programs. And also, how am I the bully? You were the one just hitting me. I was stopping the bullying. I was not being a bystander. I was being an upstander. Oh, please tell me that's not something that's actually been uttered in a classroom. Yes. Be an upstander, not a bystander, which completely ignores the nuances of the psychology that goes into being a bystander. There's a whole psychological concept called the bystander effect in which it is partially someone else will handle this. Someone else probably already has handled it. It's why there have been times people haven't called 911 on something because they assume someone already has. But there's also that fight or flight reflex, or it's actually fight, flight, or freeze now, where people are going to react how they're going to react. It's important to note that no one is a bystander all the time, and even the best person on earth is not an upstander all the time. And we forget about the fact that the kids and adults who witness bullying are afraid of the bullying coming onto themselves or that they are afraid of immediate physical repercussions, whatever. You know, I know we've gotten off track here, but it's actually something I really care about because I was really badly bullied. And yes, I do wish people had stood up for me. And I don't understand why my teachers refused to. But as I've gotten to be an adult and studied some psychology and worked with kids, I can't be mad at them for not always defending up each other. This explains a lot, actually, because remember, there have been times we've been in working, uh, not working, but in retail stores, Uh and we've seen someone being an absolute jerk to the people behind the counter, Uh which you shouldn't do anyway, but both of us will stand up for the people working behind the counter and yell at the Karen yelling at them. 
Yeah, we saw somebody trying to return an opened bag of cat food, and she's screaming at this poor girl behind the counter because she won't take it back. And she's saying, it's store policy, it's on your receipt. It, and she actually had the receipt and she showed her, like, we can't take this back. Well, this lady during this also made the mistake of saying, I work for an animal shelter and they would love to have this. So she gets to the point where she goes, well, I'm never going to come here again. I lost it. I go, I don't think they'll miss you. And so she turns on me and then she turns to Austin. And I think she said something along the lines of control your woman. And <laughs> okay, first of all, I'm not going to control you. And I couldn't even if I wanted to. <laughs> and Austin says, you know, you said you work for an animal shelter that would really like this. Why don't you just bring it there? And that's when she left. Oh, yeah. My favorite part was when she said, well, just wait until my husband gets home and hears about this. <laughs> that was my favorite part. Like, even to this day, it's like, oh, oh, you. And then afterwards, like, I ha I started shaking because I am not, I'm a, I'm a confrontation averse person. I don't like being confrontational. And so I'm always afraid it's going to somehow come back and bite me. But... I feel like we did the right thing. She was being abusive. And we yeah. like, I'm like, give it to me instead. I have the option of leaving. She doesn't. So turn it on to me. Oh, just dude, so many times, like when someone's been like an unreasonable idiot at the desk, it's like, I just wish like someone would type up from behind them and tell like, even if it's just like, hey, move it, loser. We've got stuff to do and places to be. I need to get my stuff done. Even that, just like interrupt and break the cycle. Just help, help a brother out. Yeah, in all the years I worked retail and food service, I could probably count on one hand the number of times somebody else in line said, hey, you're not acting appropriately. I did have a uh, customer do that to a coworker who was being nasty to me once, though, because I, I actually genuinely liked working retail for the most part. You know, the bad stories, the ones that are more fun to tell, but I actually yeah. genuinely liked it. And so I would enjoy my job and I, they'd say something I'm like, all right, beautiful, let's do this. And he started making fun of me for using over-the-top language. And this customer looks at me and goes, don't be mad just because she's happy with your life, her life and you're not. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> all right, let's get on to my story. Yep. Which is actually about people standing up. Yay! All right, so one of my favorite musicals of all time is Les Miserables. A friend of mine has this theory that you either like Les Miserables or you like Phantom of the Opera and you don't like both. That is that is true for me because I like Les Miserables and do not like Phantom of the Opera. Same here. The music to Phantom is, of course, beautiful, but I've seen it, and I'm like, okay, that was a waste of my three hours. But I do like Gerard Butler was the Phantom in the movie, and he was so good, and I consider it personally insulting that he doesn't continue to do movies, or musical movies. Oh, he does movies. He, oh, he does movies. Movie. We could go watch, I think, was it Angel is Down, his newest one? Gerard, you're so beautiful, and you have such a voice. Why are you doing this? Oh, my God. Why wasn't Gerard Butler Javert? Yeah. Oh, dude, dude. Like, I've worked on Les Mis. I've seen it a few times. I actually really love the movie, except for Russell Crowe as Javert and Sasha Baron Cohen as Tenardier. I don't care that he doesn't look like the character. I hate that Sasha Baron Cohen is clearly, like, in the middle of a hissy fit the whole time because he has to sing live. However, there is one major misunderstanding that I am addressing about this today. It is not set during the French Revolution. It is set during a French Revolution, right? Not exactly. Oh, really? It's actually in between the two French Revolutions. This is a separate thing. <laughs> in school, when people do Les Miserables, they talk about it and they study the French Revolution. Actors are dressed in late 1790s French Revolution costumes and hairdos. And even Tom Hooper, who directed the movie, said he agreed to do it because of how much he likes the French Revolution. This guy directed the whole movie. 
and apparently thought it was about the French Revolution. But it's it's not. No. So the French Revolution itself was May 5th, 1789 to November 9th, 1799. Les Miserables begins in 1850. Oh, we're like talking like post-Napoleon. Yes. Whoa. And the battle that's in the show, and I'm talking about it in terms of the show because I actually haven't read the book. I have a hard time getting through Hugo. I've tried a few times. Oh, yeah, it's Hugo. I did get through the Phantom of the Opera book because it's real short. That's not Hugo, of course, but I got through it. It was real bad. This battle occurs in June 1832, and it is called the June Rebellion. So we're all, we're up to 1832. This is like this is like the children of the people who were around in the French Revolution. This is like a completely different generation. Yes, and considering how early people had kids back then, it, it could be their grandchildren. Yeah, it could be the grandkids. So the French Revolution does inform the June Re- Re- uh, June Rebellion. The French Revolution had a lot of causes, like all of these things do. Basically, the people were being heavily taxed to help the government get out of debt, which resulted in part in the lower class people starving, which was compounded by years of bad crops and the deregulation of the grain industry. Meanwhile, the upper classes' quality of lives were rapidly improving. And it wasn't just the nobility and the aristocracy, it was the Catholic clergymen who were living large during this, while their flocks were literally dying in the street. Beautiful. Just So it is commonly believed that the French saw America succeed in its revolution, so they decided to do the same thing, which is that first French revolution. We also promised our support and didn't follow through, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> Things didn't really improve. They... They technically win the revolution, but then the reign of terror starts, in which about 40,000 people were guillotined. What? 40,000 people guillotined. Oh, so what, I, I assume it was like a couple, maybe like 2,000, but 40,000? 40, 40,000. That's, that's a lot. And on top of that, people were still starving to death, etc., etc. This allowed Napoleon to take power, and he declared himself emperor until the year before the layman's story begins. And then monarchy came back with King Louis XVIII becoming king right when this starts. And then in 1830, right before the battle and the story starts, we have citizen king Louis-Philippe who took charge. And he was actually very well liked at first because he was like, I'm a man of the people. And he was a lot more energetic and involved than his predecessors. But the income gap and other living conditions became more apparently different. Now we get to the June Rebellion, which is also known as the Paris Uprising. The time leading up to it was not too different from the time prior to the revolution, except cholera showed up in 1832. 18,402 people died in Paris alone, with over 100,000 people dying throughout the country. Damn. It was so bad that poor areas started to suspect the government was poisoning their water. I couldn't find anything that said they were. It was just suspected. Well, this was this was like still like they're like oh cholera is caused by bad smells. The whole miasma, miasma theory. They seem to know that the water had something to do with it because, like all communicable diseases, it can be spread through dirty water. However, it ultimately killed two well-known and important people. The latter of which ultimately sparks the battle. The first was Casimir Pierre Perrier, who had done his best to avoid military interventions, declared France the protector of Belgium, and he visited a lot of hospitals once cholera broke out. Oh, no. The day after he visited the hospitals, he caught the disease and died six weeks later. See, this is why you have to be a bystander sometimes, so you don't get cholera. Then there was Jean-Maximilien Lamarck. I've heard of Lamarck. He's mentioned, I think, twice during the musical. That's probably how I've heard of Lamarck. There's 
a little mention of him during an earlier part in the ABC cafe, and then and Joel just comes up and is like, Lamarck is dead. And they give no frame of reference for who Lamarck is during the show. I assumed it was Lamarcky Mark and his funky bunch. Yes, that's exactly what it was, actually. That's in my notes. Good. <laughs> um, I gather in the novel, it's made a lot more clear who he was. But he was known for being openly critical of the monarchy. And this is a member of the aristocracy. And he was a champion of the people. He defended the liberties of people in Poland and in Italy, which was popular with the French people as well, because they were dealing with the same stuff. Did the same thing for his own people. He comes down with cholera and dies on June 1st, 1832. On June 5th was his funeral. And this is where shit gets real. People are following his funeral procession. He's in a, his casket is in a carriage. They're following it. There are estimates that up to 100,000 people eventually were there, but it's more likely just in the tens of thousands. Only tens of thousands of people. Now, obviously, the military is out there monitoring, but they are under orders to not open fire at any point, which is unusual given what we learned about France. But they are under orders that their people are upset, just let them do their thing. Then a group of students stole the carriage with his body in it. Do you hear the people <laughs> sing? And they redirected it. <laughs> so, wait, are you saying Les Mis started with the end of Animal House? I've never seen Animal House. Okay, Imagine what's happening right now, except replace funeral with parade and carriage with a body in it with a float from a rival fraternity. Okay, yes, this is the same thing. Cool. Animal House is a direct retelling of the June uh, Rebellion. They took it to the Place de Bastille, where speeches began in favor of a republic over a monarchy. It ultimately turned into a riot. Because somebody brought in a red flag reading La Liberté ou La Mort, which means liberty or death, and someone began, uh, fired a shot. That then started the people sh throwing rocks at the military, the military shooting back, people who had guns are shooting at the military. Marquis de Lafayette was there. What? He said, calm the fuck down. They said, fuck you, Mar uh, Marquis, and then they went on with their business. Well, did he wrap it? Because that's... <laughs> See, that's the problem. If you don't wrap something... It, you know one will listen to you. That's how that's how Lafayette won the Revolutionary War, according to Hamilton, was he was the best rapper. So this was the beginning of the June Rebellion, when those shots got fired. And people began to yell to the barricades. <gasps> yeah. Okay. And he's singing at this point. Probably, honestly. You know how these battles happen? People yeah. are singing and stuff. Were they, was, it, was, it, was the fighting handled by snapping? I can't snap. I'm trying to. <laughs> no, we're not talking about rival gangs. Oh. We're talking about... Large-scale rebellion. Okay. Now, in the musical, they imply that the rebellion starts immediately when he dies. As we learn here, it's a four-day difference. I am way oversimplifying everything. Like any other rebellion or unrest, there is not one thing that causes it. Like, if you think of it like a plot mountain, which they do still teach in school, there was a lot of exposition before the inciting incident. We don't teach inciting incidents for the most part on plot mountains. I didn't hear that term until college. They always have it just be the exposition and then rising action. The inciting incident is what causes the rising action. So this will eventually be on a test, kids. The inciting incident is what spurs the action before the rising action can happen. Without it, the exposition would have gone on forever. Well, I mean, it was a Hugo novel. So the exposition does just go on forever. Literature joke. There were already secret societies made up of Republicans who were ready to fight against the monarchy. Basically the opposite of today's Republicans. <laughs> who were like, I'm going to fight with the monarchy, even though they're the ones guillotining everybody. 
Anyway, the Society of the Rights of Man was a major one. They were organized like an army. The government had actually banned more than 20 people from hanging out. So they were organized into groups of exactly 20, each with their own president and vice president. <laughs> they had they were like doing military training. They were ready for this. And these are young people, workers, and students. This would be like the Gen Z and the millennials coming in to do this. Mostly Gen Z, actually. Good for you guys. Yeah, it's like... we. We fucked up already, gang. It's your turn now. We're sorry. <laughs> I'm so excited for my students to become voting age because they are so passionate. There were ultimately about 170 different groups of these secret societies with around 3,000 to 4,000 people involved in total. Yet they still managed to be secret because they were on it. So one of those groups took over the funeral of Lamarck. Though the groups were predominantly Parisian young people and students, Polish, Italian, and German refugees who had run from their own countries to get away from what was happening in France at this point joined them as well. So right when the rebellion began, about 3,000 people took control of eastern and central Paris. That day, his funeral, they take over the carriage, the shooting starts, 3,000 people are like, fuck this, and take over Paris. So that includes the Catalay, the Arsenal, and the Faubourg Saint-Antoine for one night. This was only one night? Oh, that's not that's See, not even enough time for like a couple of good ballots. We've got about three thousand people. The Parisian militia was twenty thousand people, oh. and then the National Guard came in with forty thousand. They oh. had sixty thousand people fighting against these three thousand, kind of like some stuff with Roll of the Viking. Yeah. So this definitely reinforces Dolores saying the National Guard will be harder to catch. Forty thousand people against your like twelve, bro. Yeah, they're gonna be hard to catch. Yeah, but you've got. Empty chairs. Oh, that's not that's not coming up yet. Speaking of him, the ABC Cafe was not real. The group that he was running in the show. The barricades were real. So you know, yes. in the show, it's all that crap just piled up. Uh-huh. That's what it was. It was crap piled up because they had not planned for this rebellion to start. They had not been like, okay, we're going to go to his funeral. We're going to start the rebellion. They had no plans in mind. It started naturally. The rebels built them at Belberg Saint Martin in the middle of the city. They did this by starting with the young trees that had been replanted to replace the trees they had pulled up during their last insurrection. It was uh, <laughs> July of the uh, two years before. Then they started taking things off of nearby construction sites, and they grabbed rocks to use as tools to put them together. They had nothing. They oh put God. these together in 15 minutes. What? And there were dozens of barricades. It's amazing what you can do when you are fucking tired of the government shit. Oh, it's like the, like the people in Hong Kong who are gluing like piles of bricks to the road to keep like traffic from coming through mm-hmm. it's like that but not quite as tech savvy i guess on top of that they were unarmed oh some of them had swords a couple of them had guns a lot of them had rocks well you that's like you use a rock to hammer together a barricade now and you, you hold on to that rock yeah. and you wait they started my way is not too cutting is it <laughs> They started raiding armories and gunsmiths and stole everything that was in there. But then the rebels began to realize they were losing. So they start crying out for help because remember, most of Paris is not happy with the way things are. So they, in their young teenage naivete, are thinking they are on our side. They will want to help. And no one came to help. It's like, come on, they only outnumber us 2,000 to 1. We can do this. 
who was it that was it? It wasn't Black Dahlia that that happened with. It was the other girl who had her throat slit and everybody could hear it. Nobody called the cops. At least they did. Actually, that's kind of a oversimplification. People did, but they, it didn't happen fast enough. And mm-hmm. most people didn't get involved. So yeah, the Parisians didn't help, even though they were being negatively affected. Despite the difference in the number of people, the insurgents had about 800 casualties. But the death toll was surprisingly low, with only about 93 of them dying, compared to the only 83 of the military. So, I mean, they managed to kill almost the same number as were killed of them, but percentage-wise, they lost a lot more. Did they, were there cannons? Because I remember there being cannons. Not that I found in anything. Yeah. On the morning of June 6th, they were completely surrounded. And Louis-Philippe, the citizen king, came out to show everybody he's still here and he's still in charge. I don't know where he'd been up until that point. Golfing. The final battle was at Clotre Saint Marie, Mary, I don't know, in the early evening of June 6th. And that's where everything stopped. And the battle took 24 hours. Obviously, afterwards, the government portrays them as extremists and terrorists and claimed they only represented a small group of Parisians. There were also threats of military law. Then they figured out who was waving the flag. It was a painter named Michael Joffrey. And he was sentenced to death, which was commuted to a prison sentence. Then they found that it wasn't him. (laughs) The real person was found, but they quickly figured out that he was mentally unwell. So he was put in prison for a month and then he was let go. Wow. Now, remember, this is coming after 40,000 people were guillotined for basically no reason. There were 82 additional trials after this. Seven resulted in death sentences, all of which were commuted to prison sentences. Nobody actually got executed as a result of this. What? Mm-hmm. The Second French Revolution happened 13 years later in 1848. They overthrew Louis Philippe, but their victory once again did not lead to long-term change. So where was Hugo? Yeah, what was Hugo doing during this? He actually wrote this book because he was there. He was writing a play in the Tuileries Gardens because, of course, he was. And he starts to hear gunfire. He's like, I'm going to go check this out. <laughs> so he gets up and he, the gate's closed. He looks at the guard. He's like, can I go? And the guard's like, I guess. It's like, So he's completely safe. He's Instead of going home, which he could have done, and the streets are empty, he's like, I'm going to go check out the gunfire. <laughs> Somehow he gets stuck between the barricades. <laughs> and then the gunfire starts up all around him. And so he went up against a wall between two pillars and hid. For 15 minutes while guns, bullets are shooting past his face the whole time. So he was not fighting on either side. He was just there and stuck. (laughs) But because of this book, we know about this battle. It likely would have been forgotten by history because it was a blip in the radar. This was one of the very few works that actually delves into it as something that mattered. Because, you know, it's young people, and it's young people just acting badly. It's young people in love. Okay, my interpretation of that whole thing is like, you know, the Mary is what's wrong today. I've never seen him ooh and all that whole part. I always viewed it as sarcastic that <laughs> Marius is always like this. He's got a new girl that he's in love with every week. I've never seen it performed that way. I've always seen it performed earnestly. It's like, Marius, you're in love for the first time, and I believe that. Where I'm like, what I'm hearing when I hear the words is... Marius again? That's really? Like, that seems more like the conversation guys would end up having yeah. about this. Yeah, we no, it's it's like, oh cool, you got a girlfriend, fun. But but a, if but, it's like if he's like Marius like, it's like, oh Marius, another one? Oh, I've never seen you so in love. Yeah, he's the guy that shows up every week. We found the one and the guy's like, we don't talk about this. Is Marius Ted? Oh god. Did I just ruin my Miz for you? No, because Marius is kinda like Ted from How Met Your Mother is what we're talking yes. about. 
But it could be worse. He could be Ross Geller. Because it looks like he and Cosette actually are happy at the yeah. end. I mean, I don't know. We don't know if they ever end up on Le Break. So, since we only seem to think this happens during the French Revolution, I feel like Hugo would be pissed off. Because the whole point was that this was this one battle waged by children who died trying to save everybody from this dangerous monarchy that was killing people in the streets and not helping them get better, not helping them not starve. This battle fought by children. And now we're, for the musical, which is more widely witnessed in whatever way than the book the musical puts it out as the revolution yeah so like in Les Mis the barricades were very real things but they are also symbolic of what people can do when they're really trying to stand up to the man yeah I mean I, I got, let's go back to that episode of Porters Rewatched where that woman moves all her stuff on the street that was one old lady overnight built a barricade imagine like you know 3,000 like really angry young people they could build a way better barricade than that old lady did yeah. I believe it. Kids, we believe in you and your ability to save the world. Just please don't get into gunfights with angry French militia. Yeah, or the National Guard. They'll be real hard to catch. They will be very hard to catch. Are you ready for some questions? I am ready for some questions. Will the fact that the government deified their own side and called the rebels extremists be on the test? Oh, that's a that is a good one. I'm going to say no. But there will be that one teacher who mentions that, but as, like, subtlety. It's like, this is a thing that happened, and let you draw your own conclusions from that. That was definitely not me. I always abided by the perfect script. On a history test, will the fact that William Miserable is not set during the French Revolution be on a history test? Yes. On an English test? No. On a theater test? Absolutely not. I think it depends on the teacher and how much research they did. Well, it's like... The teacher's like, okay, I can tell them the truth, or I can have costuming and sets go real smooth. The thing is, as long as the kids know what they're actually doing, I don't care that the costumes in a high school show are wrong. Um, as long as they're not grossly wrong, I'm okay with it. But make sure they actually know what, what they're doing. That's only fair. So you're saying uh, my production of Les Mis, in which everyone was wearing hammer pants and sunglasses... And we just changed all the songs to MC Hammer. It actually wasn't Les Mis, it was just MC Hammer the musical. Yeah, was... you calling it Les Mis was very confusing. It sold tickets. And will the fact that the rebels hijacked a funeral and stole a coffin with a significant <laughs> figure without the military initially shooting them down be on the test? Oh, like, like, my heart says yes, but my common sense says no. <laughs> love that though it's like when Shakespeare stole a theater you see what's wrong and you in the dark of night are like I'm gonna take care of this shit yeah oh my god I forgot that Shakespeare stole a theater I'm gonna cover that at some point oh. I feel like Shakespeare I thought about doing just one Shakespeare episode but I think I'm gonna have to do a few because they're just really interesting little points about him okay I just love that this thing about like this little blip of rebellion involved uh, Victor Hugo getting lost and ending up in the middle of a revolution and a bunch of students stealing a coffin. I know, isn't it great? I, like, I feel like they, I feel they took the right direction with this by making it very serious, but I feel there's an argument to make this as ridiculous as possible and have it be a farce. We're gonna weaken at Bernie's this whole thing. Lamarck's not dead! Lamarck's not dead! <laughs> We'll just put some sunglasses on him, <laughs> and we'll put him in, like, a different carriage, and we'll have, like, a stick, and he'll be waving to the people, and then, I, we'll, like, we'll, someone will be standing behind him doing a puppet thing, and I'm dancing. I've actually never seen Weekend at Bernie's either, but I don't feel like I need to. I have not seen Weekend at Bernie's, 
but I know enough. Yeah, it's one of those that's so far into the normal psyche that I don't think anybody actually needs to see it. Yeah. Right, so what did you learn today? <laughs> I learned that they stole a coffin and started a rebellion. That's great. I know. <laughs> French kids, proud of you. It's like, oh my god, it's, I'm, okay, not that I want anyone to start a rebellion by stealing a coffin, but, like, maybe if you learned your history, this would have happened again by now. Be an upstander, not a bystander. Steal a coffin. <laughs> what did you learn? I learned that Alexi almost, like, died because that was never brought up. I knew he was the first spacewalk guy. I didn't know that nothing worked and he probably should not have made it back in. Definitely not back down. Oh, yeah. It was, like, again, they covered up everything that went wrong. But it's like, first spacewalk. Everything was great. I feel like this is Instagrams of marriages. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Um, Hashtag blessed. Uh, yes. Soviet propaganda was basically... The Instagram account of a struggling marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag over the moon. <laughs> All right. So anything else we need to put on here? Oh, we're going to open our advent calendars. Yeah. I think I have Lego today. Yeah, that's right. Because I keep getting the disappointing ones. And you keep getting like the cool mini things. Yeah, this is so much fun. Although I finally figured out that in the Funko Pop, there's not going to be a Luna. And I'm so sad. There might be. She wasn't at the Hill Ball, was she? She wasn't. Oh, I got a Weasley. I got Ron. Ron Weasley. Ron. Dress robes. I got... The Sorting Cat? A snowman wearing a hat. A snowman. You get all the cool ones. I keep getting tables and like flag stands. So we are on all of the socials. Well, not Instagram. I just don't know what we'd put on Instagram. I mean, I guess we could put like historical photos or uh, the out of, out of context summaries of episodes. I guess we probably should because I hear that's where all the cool kids hang out, especially because we're the not going to get we're not going to get TikTok. So yeah, I mean, I'm st I'm still hung up on Vine, and that's been gone for a year now. R.I.P. Vine. It's been gone for years, plural now. Remember when Lynn and Miranda used to use it? I do remember. And Lynn, we remember when you used it too. You should start doing stuff again. We miss you. It, oh my god, I am so excited about the In the Heights movie. Oh my god, that is one of my favorite musicals of all time. I And I actually got to see it on Broadway a few years ago. <gasps> Corbin Blue was the lead, but he was lovely. You could tell he was uncomfortable with the Spanish at that point. I sound pretty soon after he started, but it was lovely. It was wonderful. I am not a crier. Austin can vouch for that. It's true. She cries at very few things. She cried during the trailer for In the Heights. Like they updated it and they're talking about how they're going to kick out all the dreamers and I am just like weeping during this. <laughs> because, oh, you leave my kids alone. <laughs> you leave them alone. So I'm so excited about it. Me I'm too. not excited about the Cats movie. Oh, I am excited about the Cats movie, but in a like, oh my God, what is happening? Like, this is like Lovecraftian cosmic horror for me. This is a thing that shouldn't be that I cannot stop looking at. This is my necronomic. I'm telling you, though, they looked at what happened with Sonic the Hedgehog and how they had to change the art, which took, what, two years? Uh-huh. They were able to change it in less than a month for dozens and dozens of the of cats, where Sonic, they only had to change Sonic. No, that's bullshit. Yeah. They knew that this movie was kind of on that list of things that probably won't do well. So they released it with these horror movie faces to get the thing shared around more. And then suddenly, based on the reaction, they changed all the faces in like two weeks. That's not a thing. So they always had it made like that and they did that to get oh, yeah. to get shares and likes. I, I hate cats. I hate the musical. 
And now I'm glad they're putting a plot in it, I guess. But are you though? I feel like Cats works best as like this fever dream. The thing that works about Cats on stage is the makeup and the artistry of the technology for it. And they took all of that out of this. They I mean they have CG faces for reasons I will never understand because the music or the, the uh, makeup is so gorgeous. And there are spectacular makeup artists out there. And instead they CG'd their faces. And I don't understand why. I think it's because Taylor Swift can't dance. I love you, Tay-Tay, but... They, um, I do look that they kept things to scale of cats. That's one of the things that works about the stage musical, too, is everything's to their scale. But you didn't have to make them small. You make the stuff around them big. That's how it works. Anyway, we're on the socials. Uh, we are on Facebook at On The Test Pod. We are on Twitter at On The Test Pod. You can find us at onthetestpod.com. And we are putting AI-generated transcripts of every episode up there. Like I said last time, if you want us to get human-written one, we're going to need some more income. So start liking, subscribing, and please, 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 please review us on Apple because that's how people get noticed. Yeah. We have one Apple review right now. We know who you are and we thank you. Thank you. Please review us on there because that will get us up on Google higher up because right now our SEO is not fantastic and getting more positive reviews will help us. If you don't like us, why are you even here? You don't, yeah. you don't need to leave a review. No. And I will say, um, okay, people listening to us, if you want us to succeed, um, this Christmas or whatever holiday you're celebrating, when your older relatives ask you to fix their iPhone, go in and like and re- like give us a five-star review, write a like some stunning reviews. <laughs> Just pirate your family's iPhones. Help us out. Austin, we're gonna get shut down. Don't do those things. Don't do those things. Wink wink. <laughs> also, don't forget this holiday season. When your family is talking about the impeachment process and they clearly don't understand it, you can always play them that episode of ours. Oh, yeah. That won't start any fights. What's the point of having a holiday if you're not going to get into a screaming match with your family? It used to be about presents and ham. Now it's just about screaming and also ham. All right, guys. We're just going to get in. We're getting into normal day-to-day conversations. So anyway, let's uh, talk about our grocery list. Um, <laughs> I noticed we're running a lot of garlic. I think we need garlic. We're getting that through Imperfect Foods. Imperfect oh. Foods, sponsor us. We love you. Yeah, it's like, uh, uh, we are, we'll sponsor anyone, anyone, even Hallmark at this point. No. Okay, fine. We won't sponsor Hallmark. Screw them. Yeah, that's, that's baloney that's happening over there. Anyway, I could get into another rant. I won't. We love you. Thank you for listening. And class, class dismissed. dismissed.